0: There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. We know that this world needs Jesus like it never has before. You don't have to look very far to see that. You don't have to look very far to see that we live In a world where there's a lot of hopelessness, where there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of suffering, and something you should know about this church if you are a first-time visitor here at Elevate is we believe that we are God's plan A, like there is no plan B. That God's plan was to reach a hurt, a lost, and broken world, and he's doing it through you. He's doing it through this church. And so this morning, you've walked into a house that's on mission. You should know that that we believe we are called to be that light in those dark places. In fact, I'm super excited today because I get to introduce you in just a moment to someone who's gonna bring the word. He's my friend, and he is all about that. He's really all about bringing hope. Uh, In fact, I promised him that there would be a standing ovation for him this morning, so that's why just stay standing, all right? But this friend of mine, uh, he led a church here in Erie uh, a phenomenal church for 21 years, uh, a growing church, a church that really had the heartbeat to reach people in this this city. This guy befriended me when when my family first arrived in Erie, and just kind of uh, has poured into my life with such wisdom and experience. And now he's moved on. In fact, he's giving his life full time to bringing that hope. He's a director at the Convoy of Hope, and this coming August, right here in Erie, we're gonna. Uh, kind of be a part of a day of hope with a lot of other organizations and a lot of other churches bringing uh, hope to those who are hopeless. My friend's name is Pastor Jack Reisner. Would you guys do me a favor and let's welcome him. Let's give him honor this morning as he brings us the word.
1: Oh yeah, just keep that going, that's great. I'm kidding, sit down. Thank you. I have been so excited about the invite to come and spend the weekend with you all. Uh, Since your inception as a church, I've been watching you, and I just love the DNA that's in this community of faith. I love who you were when you began, who you're becoming, and who you will be. Uh, it, it's, it's really exciting. In fact, I am just so in love with what's happening with you and through you that um, my last year here in Erie, before I left, uh, in my church, I began telling them that, that I, I really like the things you were doing. And that uh, as, when Sears went belly up and left the mall, I, uh, I told them, I said, we're going to go over there and start a church in that building. And, and you that have been in that building will understand this. I said, and we're going to call it Escalate. <laughs> they didn't go for it, but anyhow. I really, I really like what you're doing. Let me tell you what, what I like about what's happening in you and through you. I like your passion. I like your vulnerability. I, I like your authenticity. I like anybody that will hire Dave Perkins. <laughs> And I love Dave, and and I really I really like your kindness, your generosity. My daughter is thirty seven years old, and ever since I can remember, starting in uh, her high school years at McDowell, she has been a woman's advocate, and she has been on women's issues. And so you can understand the the extreme pain and crushing feeling she had when she thought she was going to have the first. <laughs> female president of the United States, and it didn't happen. So I can tell you politically, if you whatever went on her, her Facebook and her blogs, you'd understand that she can be quite political. And she doesn't have a fondness for the term, make America great again. <laughs> so she sent my grandson, who's four, to school two weeks ago with a shirt that said, make America kind again. And I thought, that's not a political statement. That's, those are Jesus words. Kindness, kindness is an amazing thing. Kindness can change a marriage. Kindness can change a family. Kindness can change a community. Kindness is a big deal. And this morning, I want to challenge you with this whole concept of, of kindness. Because kindness can, can in, in one day, just in one day, can change somebody's life. Check this out.
2: What if you truly believed that you could change your city, not the structures, the roads, or the traffic, but the people? What would you do? When you'd look around you, would you begin to see potential instead of poverty? Would your eyes be opened to the value of your neighbors? Would you start to realize that sometimes the simplest things make the biggest difference, that even something as basic as a haircut can inspire confidence? Or that a new pair of shoes can not only change the way people walk, but the way they carry themselves. And would you begin to believe that providing health exams does more than just bring peace of mind, but has the ability to change hearts as well? Or that giving a child reason to smile can brighten their entire existence? And what if you believe that offering someone something as simple as a bag of groceries could be the one thing that brings hope to everything?
1: I came to the Convoy of Hope outreach today for the services offered because they are needed and helpful at the moment. Very helpful. Everybody's constantly making sure that we have what we need and if we need help finding anything and there's just lots of people to help you. It's given us hope today. That's the hope we needed.
2: By giving back to your community, you'll play a part in changing the lives of families and giving them the hope they need. By coming together as friends and neighbors to pray, to give, and to volunteer, we'll transform lives. Hope starts here.
1: So how can kindness do that? All I can tell you is that the Bible is is full of God's concern for those who are hungry, for those who are poor, for those who have been devastated. In fact, God is so connected to how we treat those in tough situations. He is so connected that he said, whenever you do something for someone who is hurting, you need to understand that you've done that for me, that I feel that. When you gave somebody a cup of water, I felt that. When you gave them food, I felt that. When, when you gave them a ride when they didn't have one, I, I felt that. When you, when you took care of a family while, while the father was in the hospital, I felt that. God says, I feel those things. And would it surprise you to know that how we treat the hurting, how we treat the hurting is directly related to how quickly we recover from our own hurts. There's these three Psalms that King David wrote That are really progressively tied together. Each starts with a benediction. And the first one says this. Seek out God's word and you're going to find out what he knows about you and how much he cares for you. Secondly, as you do that, the second psalm says, you begin to understand that he wants to forgive you for your sins. And thirdly, as you have been forgiven for your sins... Psalm 41 says that he is going then to able to give you the ability to give yourself and what you have in life over to other people. So I want you to see Psalm 41:1. We're going to focus there for a few moments. And it says this. Oh the joys of those who are kind to the poor. The Lord rescues them when they are what? In trouble when they're in trouble. So, so I, I want to break it down for, for a moment. I just want to talk to you about kindness and poor. So let's say that Colby that, uh, scored four tickets to the Cleveland Cavaliers playoffs game. And, and so he's got four. And he's he's going to take Kristen with him. And then he's going to take two people out of this audience with him, and, and so he picks you, and so you head out to Cleveland, and you go in, into the arena, and you find out that your seats are in the no bleed, nosebleed section because he's not very rich, so that's about all he can afford. And he takes you there, and somewhere in the midst of the game, when there's a pause in the action, you find out that they're going to be shooting out those, those T-shirts out of the cannon, but one of them is going to have a LeBron jersey, and he's going to have it signed, and it's going to be... It, 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 just a great treasure for somebody and so they're shooting off the, those, those cannons and Kobe, having the sharp eye that he has up there right, right above the rail that, that looks down he sees it coming up his way and he recognizes it's not a t-shirt it is the jersey he reaches out he snags it but as he snags it he loses his balance flips over the railing and is dangling there by one hand holding the jersey in the other Now, what will you do? Some of you would be honest, you'd say, I'd ask him to hand me the jersey because if he falls, somebody else is gonna get it. But some of you would say, I would reach down and grab him and rescue him. The word poor means someone who is dangling by a thread. They're in intense pain. They they have no source of hope whatsoever. And Asama said, when you see that person, you do more than just give them a passing thought or a view. And, and I appreciate the people who come down at the, at the end of the exit off the highway, and there's someone standing there with a sign that says, need food, and they hand them an energy bar because they have one. That's great, but this is more complicated than that. The word that is used here for kindness is when you see the situation that someone is in, you begin to to dig in and find the complexities of how they got there and what it's going to take to get them out of there. That you look at that and, and you use your intelligence and you ask for the wisdom of God and then you say, here, I think I have a way and you invest your resources in helping bring them out of that. And as you do that, now listen, as you do that, the psalmist David says, you need to understand that while you rescue them, God is in the process of rescuing you. As you accomplish that, as your eyes go away from your own hurts to someone else's hurts, God says, I move in and I take care of your hurts. You know who gets that? I I really do believe that your pastor gets that. Ever since I've known Colby, it's always been what can we do to help people who are hurting? How can we bring them hope? And I think that's why this church is growing, because this leadership team believes that they can help move all of you together to change this city through kindness. And while that's happening, God heals your wounds. I just want you to, I just want you to catch that now. Just, just imagine that, that as you're helping other people, God is in the midst of who you are, recognizing your wounds and saying, I'm going to take care of where your pain is. So Jesus explains this at a time when there's an escalation of resistance against him. The religious leaders have accused him of working on the Sabbath, which is against the law. What Jesus has been doing is that on a Sabbath day, there is a man that he sees who has an arm that is deformed. And Jesus walks up and says, hey, stretch out your hand. And he does. And it's made perfectly well. It's a perfect match for the other one. It's good. And they they say, whoa, 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 you worked. You worked. A couple days later, Jesus comes across a man who is demonized to the place that he cannot speak, he cannot see. And Jesus removes the demon from him, and now he talks, and now he sees. And they say, we know how he did this. He did this by the power of Satan. Which is a horrible indictment against anyone, because anyone caught performing magic by satanic power can be executed on the spot. In fact, in those three years of Jesus' ministry, In many circles, he was known as a sorcerer. They said that's how he does this. So here's how the story goes. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only Beelzebul, the prince of the demons, this man casts out demons." Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And now pay attention to this one. Or oh, how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. I've been married to, to Pam for 41 years now, about ready to hit 42. And in our seventh, eighth year of marriage, Pam awakened me one night about 3.30 in the morning and, and, and said, I hear a window. And I thought, well, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard at 3.30 in the morning. I, I, and, and I guess I should explain to you that I didn't realize when I married Pam that she talks in her sleep. So about a week into our marriage... I was awakened by her. Who had, she had just started a new job, and it was, it was pretty intense for her. She said, you know, if we put the furniture in alphabetical order, we'll be, we'll be in better shape when people come to visit. And I thought, who did I marry? What is this about? So now I hold conversations with her when she does this, and it's great. So she said, I, heard a, I hear a window. I said, honey, what does a window sound like? She said, no. Somebody just shut a window. I said, all right. So I got out, out of the bed. I went out of our room. I went down the hallway, and I looked in, in the bedrooms of the kids. I saw nothing. I came back out. I went down by the entrance of the house. I looked back into the living room. I walked further down the hallway. I looked into the kitchen and into the family room. I saw nothing. I turned, and as I turned, I glanced down to the kitchen table where the night before I had done the bills and left the bills, my wallet, my ring, and my watch laying on that table, and they were gone. What she had heard was someone evidently in our house going back out, and they were kind enough to shut the window. So I went over and I looked out the patio very carefully through the curtains, and I looked, and out on the patio on our picnic table were the contents of my wallet. So I went back in, I said, let's call 911. The police showed up. Guns were drawn, and they, and they walked through the house. They checked it out and come to find out the next morning that seven houses within our loop had been burglarized that night. It created some psychological issues for me. I would wake up for the next few months every morning from around 3 to 3.30 and have to go check the house because I thought they may come back. So it was the next night after this had happened that I awakened at around 3, 3 3.30, and I went to check the house, and I made my way down and checked the bedrooms. Heading back, I thought, okay, we're all right, and then I heard what I determined was someone coming through the window of the kitchen, and I froze. My heart began to beat really fast. The adrenaline was pumping and I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a weapon. I didn't have, I didn't have a handgun. I didn't have a, a bat. I didn't have anything. So that I did the only thing I could think to do in the most masculine scream I could muster. <laughs> I went, Aah! really long in the dead of the night. And then I waited. And then from the kitchen I heard this sweet Frightened voice say, Jack, is that you? My wife had left, I didn't know this, had left the bedroom and gone into the kitchen to get a glass of water, which, by the way, was now on the ceiling. But I was determined that whoever was going to come in that house would have to come through me before they could plunder anymore. Because that's the way it is. And Jesus says this. He said, the strong man has to be bound before you can plunder. And there's no way that Satan is going to divide his own house so it can be plundered. He's not going to exercise demons out. These are his SEAL Team 6. These are the guys who were in collusion with him when they tried to overthrow God. These are his guys. And Jesus said, if Satan is not going to do it and the demons have been cast out, then you need to understand that I have done it and I have bound the strong man. That he is bound up at this moment. So our, our son, Dustin, and Dave Perkins went through school together. And, and so Dave knows this about Dustin. Dustin went through a seven-year rebellion. And and we should have figured it out because in in the second grade we were going on a Friday morning school was was off and and we were going to go to the parent teacher conference and we went into Dustin's bedroom to tell him we were going to go meet with his teacher and he woke up out of a dead sleep looked at us and his first words were these if she tells you I cuss I don't (laughs) we met with the teacher and she said your son Dustin is a leader but he's leading everybody the wrong direction. So we tried to, to bend him and shape him in every way of, of discipline we could think of, and eventually I ended up having to spank him at one point. And so I spanked him so that it wasn't dangerous, but it was firm. And when I got done, he looked at me and he said, is that all you got? I said, no. Not. (laughs) Since Jesus went out into the wilderness and his ministry began, Satan has been trying to combat him, confuse him. And in the process, every time that would happen, in essence, Jesus would just turn and say, is that all you got? And Satan would say, no, I got more. Until he orchestrated This rebellion against Jesus, the son of God, the creator, and had him executed. And three days after his execution, Jesus rose from the dead and said to Satan, in essence, is that all you've got? And Satan said, yeah, that was it. Pretty well done with it. And Jesus said, if I have bound Satan the strong man, then I want you to know that it's time to plunder his house. So what is his house? Jesus was talking to a group of people and he made this statement. He said, you're going to know the truth and the truth will set you free. The Pharisees, these religious leaders, said, whoa, 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 whoa. We're we're sons of of Jehovah. We're sons of of God and we've not been in bondage. And Jesus said, oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. And so Jesus says these words to, to them. You are, of your, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. He said, you think that you're in God's house, but because you have believed the lies of Satan, you have come into his house. So hear me clearly. Satan's house is where his lies have attached themselves within our wounds so that we believe those lies about ourselves. Even Peter, who had placed his faith in Jesus, was following Jesus, had said something that was detrimental to what Jesus wanted to accomplish, and he turned to Peter and he said, Satan, get behind me. It wasn't because Satan was in him. It was because Satan had placed lies in him and he had believed them and therefore began to live according to those lies. And Jesus is saying to Peter, you cannot change the world, and that's what I want you to do. You can't change the world if you believe those lies. And you see, you can't change your marriage. You can't change your job. You can't change your life. You can't change community. You can't change a state or a nation if you believe those lies. So how do I confront the lie? Well, I had someone share with me, Three questions that I should ask myself on a regular basis, and I want to share those with you this morning. And here's the first question. What is the lie I tell myself? See, it could be the voice of a parent who was abusive, who told you that you're stupid, you're dumb, you're ugly. Uh, What you're feeling right now is your own fault. You caused it. You're not going to amount to much of anything. And you believe the lie. It could be a lifestyle that you lived once and you've come out of that lifestyle, but that lifestyle, that former lifestyle keeps saying to you, this is how you were and even though Jesus has forgiven you, you don't deserve to get to that spot over there because only the good people get over there and you're going to be stuck right here for the rest of your life. It could be a failure that says to you, you're never going to be good enough. I was raised by some wonderful parents And my dad, in his his effort to make me a better man, would send me out to do tasks. And when I'd get done, he'd come out and inspect them and and then tell me, well, but have you ever thought about doing this way? It's a better way. I began to interpret that as I really could never do things good enough. And then there were events that, that layered upon that junior high school. My friends and I all went out for the junior high basketball team. They all made it. I didn't. I learned later I probably should have practiced. <laughs> but I, I felt like, okay, I'm not good enough. They're good enough. I'm not good enough. I fell in love my freshman year in college. We dated all year round. I went back with her in the summer for a couple of weeks to, to Long Island, New York, where she was from. And, and we were in love. And I was going to ask her to marry me eventually. And, and then a couple weeks later, I get this, this note that just says, I've just been thinking about it. I don't think this is going to work. And then when we got back to school, she began dating my friend and ended up marrying him. And I thought, yeah, I'm not good enough. So profoundly impactive was that lie that when I met Pam, who became my wife, we knew each other as close friends for two years, and then on Christmas Day, I surprised her at her home in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and asked her to marry me, and she said yes. Two hours after, I asked her to marry me. And now, ladies, you're not going to like this. But the lie began to surface inside of me and said, you know, she's too good for you. You're not good enough because God's not going to let you have her. He's going to do something to stop it. Or at least she's going to come to her senses and know that she can get somebody better. So you might as well just get rid of the pain, right? Face the pain right now and don't go any further. And so two hours after I asked her to marry me and she said yes and we told her family, I asked her to give me the ring back. Don't judge. (laughs) Don't judge. See how messed up lies can make your life? So her response was, when I said, give me the ring back, she said, no. She said, I'm keeping the ring. We're in love. We're going to get married. Now just shut up. That was the first time anybody had ever confronted the lie. What is the lie that you tell yourself? At age 12... Hal knew that he shouldn't talk back to his mom when she said, get your shoes on. We weren't going to take you you kids, and there were four kids in his family, but we've got to go to the church business meeting. His dad was the pastor, and we're going to be late now because the babysitter hasn't shown up. So they piled in the car. They're going out the driveway. The babysitter comes screeching in, and so they say, okay, we're going to be late anyhow. Let's take time, let the kids settle, and we'll go. Two hours later... There's a knock at the door. The babysitter answers the door, and there's two uniformed policemen standing there who give them the news that their parents were hit by a drunk driver. The father was killed, and the mother is in critical condition, not sure she's going to live. The police lead them out to the porch where the neighbors have gathered together, and they say, someone's got to take care of these kids for the night. Who's going to do it? Nobody volunteers. They said, you don't, don't understand. We're going to have to go down to the police station and find some place for them. So somebody needs to take them. And finally, Bill and levita Davis raise their hand and say, okay, we'll do that. You say, well, why were they reticent? Because already in their family, there are four kids and two parents living in a single wide. And now they're going to take four more kids in with them. And they stay with them night after night, week after week, month after month as the mother is trying to recover in the hospital. Bill and Levada lose their privacy, and they they go through their savings. She cooks, cleans, irons all day long. He gets extra jobs at the quarry to try to be able to feed all these kids. People in the community bring them food and hand-me-down clothes. And for the first time ever, Hal understands horrible loss. And you can understand why he would begin to believe the lie because of the wounds. See, our wounds are there because of loss. And, he's, and he understands that he's lost his father. He doesn't know if he's going to still have his mother and what condition she's going to be in. They don't have much to eat, they don't have much to wear. And so the lie begins to fester within him. This is my life from now on. I have lost everything good in my life, I will never, ever have enough. But if Jesus bound the strong man, it's time to plunder his home. And in those moments when you say, okay, this is my lie, and you say, God, what am I going to do? If you listen carefully, God will speak to you through somebody's kindness, and you're going to hear his truth. And for Hal, it was the words of Bill who said this to him. Don't allow the tragedy of your childhood to become a lifelong excuse, because where you start in life doesn't dictate where you'll end so what is the lie you tell yourself understand that where you have been and where you are now does not have to dictate where you're going to end up all right so if if i'm confronting the lie and it's rooted in my wound then what do i do about that wound second question what mask do i wear to cover my wound The mask may be that you will never admit that you're wrong. You're going to blame other people for everything in your life that's gone wrong. Or you may want to make sure that everybody likes you or that you become very religious so that God likes you. You may use it to manipulate others. You, 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 you may want to climb the ladder of success. You may become overactive so that you're never, never quiet. You're always doing something because you don't want to hear the wound crying out inside of you. You may have multiple partners so that you could at least feel some kind of love once in a while. Or you may just drown out any kind of feeling with some kind of addiction. You may work hard so that you are rich, so that you will never have to face poverty again, so that you hoard and you hoard and you hoard. For me, it was perfectionism. Perfectionism. I'm not good enough, so I'm going to make sure I'm perfect at everything that I do, and I'll work hard to accomplish that. Good grades, do well in athletics, be the first on everything. If I'm going to take a risk, I will overanalyze it to death, and if I cannot control every aspect of it, I won't risk. That's the way it was for me. It got so bad. In fact, I still have vestiges left of that in me, that that if I go into Target and all those lines are full and I peruse through, I'm going to figure out which line will be the quickest. And inevitably, I get in the one where the lady's going to pay in pennies. (laughs) And it just ticks me off that I wasn't smart enough to figure that out. If I'm going to buy a vacuum, I go online and I check all the prices. I go over and over and over and over again. I could have bought five vacuums by the time I get done. And then after I buy it, I go back online to see if I screwed up. That's what it does to me. If my wife and I are in one place, we've drove two cars, and I head back home and she races another way and gets there before me, it makes me mad. Because I should be smarter than she is. So Jesus meets a very wealthy young man. He's a millennial who's really made made a name for himself. And he says to Jesus, What can I do to have eternal life? Because the way I read it, he's saying, I have a really good life right now, and, and how can I know that it's going to keep on going and even get better? And Jesus wants him to know that what you're doing here is only a mask for the pain that you have here. And as long as you're doing this, as long as you're collecting all of that, you're not going to deal with this, and you're never going to be happy. So you're going to just keep adding on. You're, suc- you're going to become more successful, you're going to have more money, you're just going to keep going. And so Jesus says this to him. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And what he was saying was this. I know you got pain there, I know you got wounds, so what I want you to do is I want you to take the mask that you've been covering that with and I want you to let it go. And instead of looking at your pain, what I want you to do is take the things that you have and be kind to other people. Well, and then he's going to say, but but I'll have nothing left. And Jesus will say, well, wait, because as you move the mask out of the way, I'm invited to come in and deal with your pain. It's a come because you thought you lost something, and I'll show you that nothing that you have lost cannot be replaced by me, and when I put it there, it'll be better than anything you had before, so let me heal your wound. But as long as you hold on to these things, I can't take care of you here. And as you let go and give away what you have, I'll come in and heal you there, and you'll be happier than you've ever been before. Oh, the joy of the one who's kind to the poor. Because now you've become what I destined you to be, what I created you to be, which is simply this, to love God with your whole heart and your neighbor as yourself through this wonderful kindness, and you'll find life like you've never had it before. For me, it was God saying, You need to start being graceful to people and quit worrying about your own perfection and begin to empower other people to become what they need to be. So, Hal worked really hard to become a successful writer and a journalist. His journey took him to to Calcutta, India, where he interviewed Mother Teresa. And it was a pivot point in his life. Here's his description. Within minutes of meeting Mother Teresa, she had unknowingly helped set a new course for my life by asking me a simple question. Hal, what are you doing to help the poor and suffering? Nothing, he said, wishing he could have said something better to report. She looked at me kindly and said, everyone can do something. Hal was still living in the lie of poverty, which says I'll never have enough. And when we are self-absorbed, In our wounds of our past, we find reasons not to share our lives with other people. So that lie was exposed, and the wound was uncovered. So he went back home, he grabbed his brothers, grabbed his pickup truck, loaded it up full of groceries, and went out to the migrant workers in California and began to feed them. Because kindness opens a path for wounds to be healed and for us to change the world. So how do I get past my wounds? How do I have enough energy to go there? Third question. What is the truth I need to tell myself? Jesus made this statement. If you abide in me, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you don't set up your house in Satan's lies, but instead you set yourself up in God's home, abide there, and what that means is where his word and his presence are. That if you do what you've done done this morning, go someplace and hang out with people who understand and beginning to understand who God is, in the midst of all of that, he's going to speak truth to you. When you take the scriptures and you read them, his Holy Spirit will say, here's a truth for you. When you're worshiping and listening to worship music, there's going to be a line that says, hey, this is for you. And when you get that, you hold on to it and you begin to declare that over your life instead of the lie. And as long as you stay in that presence that truth will continue to impact you and take root in you where the wound used to be. So for me, it was Ephesians 2.10. For we are created in Christ Jesus. We are are manufactured. We are His, His, his creation, his fabric manufactured in Christ Jesus to do significant works for his kingdom, which God has already prepared in advance for you to do, Jack Reisner. God has a process for you. God has a place for you. He's got a place prepared for you. And for you to go in there, you'll have everything you need, that you are good enough because I am side of you, are making you to be what you need to be. And so I have to hold on to that truth. So Hal did that. He began really focusing on his life with Jesus so that Jesus could plunder Satan's house, full of lies, and here's what happens. He began to find ways to be kind. This guy who said, I I can't even feed one, began to look for places to feed people. So that pickup truck with family became semi-trucks with community, with a driving passion to feed the world. So here we have Hal who said, I'll be stuck in poverty my entire life and I can't help anybody. And now saying, I'm going to find a way to feed everybody who's hungry in the world. So, everything, or Everyone Can Do Something, became a, a movement of compassion, a convoy of hope. Everyone Can Do Something now has fed over 85 million people and led over 250,000 people to faith in Jesus. Everyone Can Do Something has figured out how to feed a child for $10 a month and presently is feeding 170,000 kids in 11 countries. Everyone can do something has presently trained over 16,000 farmers who couldn't grow crops before how to grow crops and give them the seed, and they take 10% of their yield, and they give it back to the hungry children in their community. Everyone can do something Has responded to 32 disasters last year and, and helped rescue and take care of 1.1 million victims. Everyone Can Do Something has trained over 10,000 women how to use their skills and, and start a business, a profitable business, and hire people and give them income to raise them out of poverty and then give them a grant to start. And as Kobe said, Everyone Can Do Something is partnering with you on August 18th to reach out to people who are hurting in this community to say there is someone who loves you, someone who, who cares for you, someone who gives you dignity. It's a day that can change a life. It can bring a day of hope like it did for Tony. Check this out.
3: Five, six years ago, we were, I was uh, in construction, and we did uh, uh, additions and The business went belly up. I mean, it just went under because the guys that we were with, the guys I was working with, uh, they got on drugs and the business just went under. Lost money, lost contracts, and eventually I just lost everything. Lost my house, because I didn't have any money. I couldn't feed my family. I lived in my car when I was homeless. Um, Three three children in the back seat, my wife and I in the front seat, and that was our sleeping arrangement. But The the only thing I could think of is, was it my fault, how did this happen and what did I go wrong? What did I do wrong? You know, what? You know, I'm trying to figure out how did this happen? So I needed some help. I needed some real help. And I, don't, I didn't know who really to turn to, but it's just, it just so obvious you need to turn to God. You, know, you just need to turn to the Lord. You need to learn how to um, uh, get some faith. I began to pray. I I said, Lord, this is, I, I, I'm, I can't take it. And this is it, you have blessed me today. Uh, this guy, he, he kind of pressed into me about my situation. He wanted to know what was going on with me. He took me to Fellowship, the church, where I saw the sign, the Convoy of Hope. I, I just, when I saw the sign, I was like, what is this? He said, yeah, this is an event that you don't want to miss. You know, they're giving away food there. I was like, oh yeah, I want to be there. <laughs> You know, it was a huge event. It was a lot of people there, a lot of friendly faces. I mean, a lot of people that would greet you. As soon as you come to the, as soon as you walk through the gate, they're there to greet you. And they had grabbed my family and my wife and they pulled them into the tent and said, come on, let's pray, you know. And so my wife called me. She said, come here, come here. Come on over here. And so I went in there with them, oh man. And they began to pray for us, man. And it was like, wow, what's really happening here, you know? They didn't just stop at prayer. All the things that I needed at that time, they, they fully met it. Uh, got us into a house, a job. They took us in, uh, saw our needs, and met them. So when I heard that they were coming back again, well, we couldn't wait. to. I told my family, my wife, and they, I said, they're coming back again this year. We're going to be there. This time, we're going to help. We're going we're to get us some T-shirts, and we're going to go, and we're going to help. And I was excited about it because I remember where I was before in that car. I remember that. And I remember how Convoy of Hope changed my life, I remember that. This photo represents the day that changed our lives, a day of hope.
1: So how does that happen? It happens. When we find someone who's dangling by a thread and we say, you know, where you've been or where you are now does not need to dictate your future. And I'm here to help you. So let me leave the questions with you again. Right now, where you're seated, what is the lie you tell yourself? And could you even just now, inside of you, just say, God, this is the lie I'm living or living with. And secondly, what is, what is covering? What's the mass that's covering the wound? And it's time to say, God, I'm, I'm not going to focus on my wound. I'm going to be kind to others, and then I'm going to invite you to come in and, and heal this wound as I'm helping other people heal. Third question, what is the truth you need to tell yourself? Because God's going to give you truth. He's already given it to you, I'm sure, and just begin to repeat that on a daily basis. God, this is what you promise, and this is who I am in you. And one of those truths I hope that you stay focused on, again, is Psalm 41.1. Oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor, for the Lord rescues them when they're in trouble. Don't listen to the lies that you can't be kind. Everyone can do something. God bless you.
0: So we have some action steps for you. Uh, We wouldn't just kind of share about the day of hope that's coming without giving you a way to make good on that, without giving you a way to follow up with that. So right now, if you want to jot this down, uh, behind me you're going to see a graphic as well. But on our website, elevatechurch.com, if you go to forward slash day of hope, like this is the heart of our church really is to reach a hurt, lost, and broken world. And one of the best ways we can do that, that we know how, is to help meet tangible, physical needs of people that are hurting in this community. So you can go online, get some more information about that, and also sign up to be a part of that day. We'd love to have everybody Involved. It's gonna take thousands and thousands of, of volunteers serving that day. We're shutting down on Saturday. We're not holding our, our normal Saturday evening worship experience because this day matters. It matters for our city and it matters for us because I love what Pastor Jack said, that one of the greatest ways to heal our own hurts is to help others. And I believe that's so true. Can we thank Pastor Jack one more time, you guys, for bringing a word this morning? Awesome, awesome. Appreciate you, buddy. Appreciate your heart. Hey, let's do this. Would you bow your head with me? And maybe just review those questions in your own mind and in your own heart right now. Take a little inventory of what are the lies that you're telling yourself? What are the masks that perhaps that you are wearing today? Or do you really know what God thinks about you? Because it could be you've walked in this room today and, and you don't feel Fearfully and wonderfully made. You don't feel that God formed you and knit you together, but his word trumps the way that you feel. And you should know that God created each one of you on purpose with a purpose. And some of you, you might feel so far from God that God would never want anything to do with you because of your past or the mistakes that you've made, your hurts, your wounds are so deep. Well, here's the good news. He brought you to this moment right now today, once again, to hear that how much he loves you, that he loves you so much that he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die for you. And as you believe in him, he says, you will not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. And I'd go beyond that to say that he wants to give you a full life here and now. So for those of you that maybe this is why you're here, you've been lying to yourself, you've been hiding behind masks, you need to know what God thinks about you that he loves you, he's desperate for you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And the way that we do that is through prayer. And I wanna give you an opportunity right now, invite you to pray a simple prayer that does just that. It's the way we connect with God's heart. The words, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what you say, it just matters that you believe them. So I wanna lead you in, in, in a simple prayer, something like this. If you would say, Colby, I'm gonna pray that with you. I need to connect my life to God's. I need to connect my life to his, his purpose for me. I need forgiveness for my past. I need healing from my past. I need, I need salvation uh, and, and forgiveness for my sins, if that's you. And this is why you're here in this moment, because you understand how much God loves you. And you're gonna pray that prayer with me. Would you just raise your hand, hold it up high right now, just be bold. Good, 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 good. Come on, just hold it up high. So you know what? I've been wearing this mask, I've been, I've been lying to myself and today I understand who God says I am and who he created me to be awesome. Praise God for you, you can put your hands down. Just pray something like this in your heart. Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me for my past hurts. Forgive me for my past sins. God, I want you to create in me a new heart. I want you to restore that, that joy, that kindness back to my life. And so I believe that your son, Jesus, died for all of my sins, past, present, and future. And from this moment on, I confess him as Lord and Savior. Just repeat that again. Jesus, I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. And from this moment on, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, celebrate with those today (laughs) that made the best decision of their life. We love that. We're always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevatechurch.com.